Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. We're going to be focusing on the book of Romans throughout the message. I am going to be supplementing the verses in Romans with copious scriptures outside of the book of Romans. I would suggest for you that are following along in your Bibles here in this room and those of you at home that you stick to the book of Romans. It'll be a little bit easier for you to follow uh, as I supplement with many other scriptures from other books of the Bible. Just a little bit more, Jason. But we will be returning to the book of Romans as we go through this study. And of course, we will finish up in Romans chapter 11. The title of this message, as I have advertised in my syndicated column that I write each week and also on our Liberty Fellowship website, etc., God's chosen people, the children of Israel, the Israel of God, and Romans chapter 11. A couple of points by way of introduction. For those of you who believe that the Jews are God's chosen people, that the state of Israel is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy, and that Romans 11 teaches the ultimate salvation of national Israel, I want you to know that I too believed as you for over 30 years. For over 30 years, I believed as you do. And I taught that doctrinal belief for, for three decades. So believe me, I know where you are coming from. That was the bulk of my adult ministerial life, was that same belief system. Just a brief testimony without going into detail because I have before. This was a work of the Lord in my heart. The Holy Spirit came to me back in 2007 and exposed the fallacy of Christian Zionism to my soul. I had no idea what that meant. All I knew was I was teaching error. The Holy Spirit pricked my heart that I was teaching error. So that meant I had to study. By the way, I did not listen to a sermon. I did not talk to anyone. I didn't hear a radio broadcast. I didn't read a book, nothing like that. I, I didn't get this from any man. The Holy Spirit showed me what I was teaching was error. And so then I went to the Bible itself. And for the next seven years, I labored in the scripture with deep humiliation and prayer to try to figure out how I had taught error for all those years, and what was the truth. After seven years of study, I began teaching the content of what became the Israel packages, 31 messages on three different sets of packages. This is number one. And I taught those beginning in 2014 and going into 2020. All those years, of teaching and study and preparation because God revealed to my heart that Schofield futurism was error. So please at least give 
credit that I sought truth and God showed me truth and this did not come from man. So at least respect and honor the work of God that he did in my heart. And ask yourself the question, why would a preacher who taught Schofield Futurism for over 30 years suddenly have a complete reversal of, of doctrinal thought? Why would, why would I do that? I lost friends galore. I lost preacher friends. I was an outcast in my own peer group of, of Christian brothers. I mean, why would at my age, why would I completely have a reversal of doctrinal thought? There's only one explanation. God revealed to me first the error and then the truth, and I have followed truth as I've tried to do all of my life. Number two, this message is a biblical analysis of the subject. This is a biblical analysis. Without regard to political correctness, modern definitions, avant-garde cliches and slogans, or religious, political, racial, or personal prejudices, prejudices. I promise you, this is a biblical study as you are going to see. Not political, not racial, not personal, without prejudice. That said, Schofield Futurists use Romans chapter 11 as a proof text to support their false Israel-based prophecy doctrines. Today we're going to examine Romans 11 and expose again the falsities of prophetic dispensationalism. But before we look at chapter 11, it's important that we see what Paul said in the chapters preceding that chapter. Obviously, the Holy Spirit did not inspire Paul to contradict himself. Remember, God cannot lie, Titus 1-2. So whatever, God, whatever Paul said by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in chapter 11 does not contradict what he said in chapters 1 through 10. Can I get an amen on that? So let's please remember that. There is no contradiction between chapter 11 and the previous chapters. So I want to start taking some of the highlights from the earlier chapters, and then we'll get to chapter 11. Take your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, and we begin here. So if you have a Bible, read it with me, please. I'm reading from the King James text. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, meaning of the flesh. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, in the heart. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter or the law of Moses, whose praise is not of men but of God. Notice again, he is not 
a Jew, which is one outwardly, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Under the new covenant, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. In the eyes of God, Jews or Judahite, Jew is an abbreviated term for Judahite, meaning from the tribe or nation of Judah, are not biological, but spiritual. Okay? Romans 2. A Jew is one of the heart and not of the flesh. Supplemental verses. Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision, always a reference to the Jew or the Judahite, availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh in love. Galatians 6.15 says the same thing. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Neither Jew nor Gentile availeth anything. Colossians 3.11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free. But Christ is in all, Christ is all and in all. Ephesians 3, 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs with Israel and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel of the same body, the Gentiles, with the Israelites, and partakers of his promise to Abraham through Christ by the gospel. You're going to have to really keep your brain on in this message and listen to every word and the significance of these passages. Under the new covenant, God's chosen people are all of those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you some other scriptures to show you this. Ephesians 1.4, according as he hath chosen us, chosen us. Paul was a Jewish writer writing the letter. The Ephesians were Gentile Christians receiving the letter. God had chosen us, the Jewish man Paul and the Gentile believers at Ephesus. All were chosen. Romans 16, 13. Salute Rufus. Rufus was a Roman Gentile. Chosen in the Lord. Salute Rufus, a Roman Gentile, chosen in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you, Thessalonians. These were Macedonian Gentiles. 
The Macedonians were named after Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. So these Macedonian Christians in Thessalonica, Paul said, God hath chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Under the new covenant, remember we are not living under the old covenant. We are living under the new covenant. Under the new covenant, all who trust Christ by faith are God's chosen people, regardless of nationality, bloodline, ethnicity, etc. Back to the book of Romans, let's go to chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise, again, the promise made to Abraham, might be sure or certain to all the seed, underline that, all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, meaning the Jewish law. Are you, are you following this? To the end, the promise of Abraham might be sure, certain to all the seed, not to that only which is of the Jewish law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations who is before him whom he believed, even God, who quickened the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. There it is again, second time. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Not just the seed of the Jewish nation of the law of Moses because Abraham has made many nations and all those who are one in Christ by faith are part of the many nations that God has given to Abraham. So shall thy seed be to all of them not just a segment of them. Now, Paul is elucidating Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Schofield futurists, dispensationalists, say that the modern state of Israel is the fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. How many times have you heard a preacher, radio broadcaster, television evangelist say that we must bless the Zionist state of Israel in Palestine in order to receive God's blessing on us. They equate 
the, the Zionist state of Israel, born in 1948, to this promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. But let's look at what Paul said again in Romans chapter 4 and the verses that we just read, 16 through 18. Keep that in mind. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all seed, not to that only which is of the law, the Jewish law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I made of thee a father of many nations. So shall thy seed be. Which is it? The interpretation of the dispensational futurists about Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, does not mesh at all with what we are reading in Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Again, these people are living in the old covenant. Listen to Paul further on this subject. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Okay, so the dispensationalists say that means the people living in Palestine today. Yeah, see there? To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Keep reading. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. He said, I'm not, he wasn't talking about seeds many as a nation or a country of people, but to seed which was one, and that seed was Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel is not the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Jesus and those who are his by faith is the fulfillment of the promise. There is no denying Galatians 3.16. There is no other way to translate or interpret that verse. That verse says very clearly that the seed promised to Abraham was not many, was not a whole bunch of people. It was one, the Lord Jesus Christ, and everyone that is in Christ is of that seed. Look at Romans 12, 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. Do you see that? We are one body in Christ. Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, that's talking about the end of the world, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, regardless of our nationality, our, our ethnicity, our race, matters not we become part of his body. Galatians 3.26, for we are all the children of God by faith 
in Jesus Christ. Listen to this, Galatians 3, 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. Ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If ye be Christ's, ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now remember prophecy message number one that I brought a couple of months ago. And I said in that message, and this is going to be very clear as we go through this message and others to follow, the New Testament explains the Old Testament, not vice versa. The dispensational futurists use the Old Testament to explain the New Testament. But ladies and gentlemen, the New Covenant abolished the Old Covenant. And the New, the new Covenant explains the Old Testament. You don't explain the New Testament by going to the Old Testament. You explain the Old Testament by going to the New Testament. So what Paul wrote in the verses I've read in Galatians explain the promise that God gave to Abraham, that it was not just to one nation, but it was to all who come to faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of nationality. And we're just getting started. Back to the book of Romans. Look at chapter Romans chapter 4 and verse 13. For the promise that he, Abraham, should be the heir of the world, underline that word world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law of Moses, the old covenant, but through the righteousness of faith. All right, this is, Paul is introducing an element of the Abrahamic promise that we did not read in the Old Testament. That's why you must judge the Old Testament by the new, not vice versa. He said, Abraham, the promise that he should be the heir of the world. Paul does not use the word land here. The word land as in promised land, which was the word that was used in the Old Testament. Canaan land, promised land, holy land. God did not use that word here. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say that Abraham is heir through the promise of the world. This means that the promise to Abraham was both a limited geographical promise to Israel, which was fulfilled under Joshua, David, and Solomon, and a universal geographical promise world to all who are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Again, the New Testament explains the old. 
to say that the Old Testament explains the New Testament is to make the Old Covenant greater than the New Covenant. But the entire book of Hebrews was written to prove the supremacy of the New Covenant over the Old Covenant. Then the word covenant occurs 20 times in the New Testament. Only six of those times does it occur outside the book of Hebrews. That means 14 times out of the 20, it's mentioned in the book of Hebrews as the author is emphasizing the superiority of the new covenant over the old, again written to Hebrews. So the land covenant, the promised land covenant, given to national Israel was fulfilled under Joshua. I cannot believe how many of these evangelicals, I can't believe that for 30 years I didn't understand this. They're looking for a land promise for the Zionist state of Israel in the future. And the Bible is crystal clear that the land promise given to to Israel was fulfilled under Joshua. Let me read those verses. Joshua chapter 11 and verse 15. As the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. Listen, he left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. Nothing undone. Joshua 11 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to the divisions of the tribes and the land rested from, from war. What could be clearer? The land promise, the promised land promise to, to Israel was fulfilled under Joshua. Number two, the land covenant given to Abraham was fulfilled under David and Solomon. 2 Samuel 8.3 David smote also Hadadazer, the son of Rehab, the king of Zobah, as he went to recover his border at the river Euphrates. John Gill writes, By this means the border was recovered to the kingdom of Israel and reached so far as it is plain it did in Solomon's time. First Kings chapter four, verse 21. And Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river unto the land of the Philistines and unto the border of Egypt. They brought presents and served Solomon all the days of his life. Adam Clark says, thus he possessed all the land that God covenanted with Abraham to give to his posterity. Albert Barnes and Matthew Henry say the exact same thing. The land promises given to the nation of Israel and to Abraham were fulfilled under Joshua, David, and Solomon. If you're still not convinced, listen to the book of Nehemiah. This is post Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah writes, 
Thou art the Lord the God who did choose Abram and broughtest him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gavest him the name of Abraham and foundest his heart faithful before thee and madest a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. To give it, I say, to his seed and hast performed thy words for thou art righteous you promised to give that land to Abraham's descendants and that promise has been fulfilled so said Nehemiah keep reading Nehemiah chapter 23 verse 24 I mean chapter 9 23 and 24 their children also multipliest thou as the stars of heaven and broughtest them into the land the promised land concerning which thou hast promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it so the children went in and possessed the land how much clearer can the scripture be? The land promise, the promised land was fulfilled under Joshua, David, and Solomon. So say the writers of the, of the historical record, including Nehemiah, who wrote in post-Babylonian captivity. Number three, those were the two land promises. Number three, the fulfillment of the promise of a world inheritance is fulfilled in Christ's new covenant. Let me help explain this and show you how the New Testament ex explains the old. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 8. God said to Abram, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. So dispensational futurists say that that land promise that's already been fulfilled is everlasting and therefore it's still future. That's their theology. But folks, think. In this passage, Canaan cannot be earthly Palestine because earthly Palestine will pass away when God makes a new heaven and a new earth as an everlasting habitation for the saints. Dispensationalists say that this refers to a thousand year earthly millennium, but in so doing, they are doing what they accuse us of doing not taking the scriptures literally. 1,000 years is not an everlasting habitation. Clearly, the only everlasting habitation will be the new heaven and the new earth, or world that will be inhabited by all who are redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ. Again, see how the New Testament explains the old. Notice Paul's instructions regarding this truth to the Hebrews in the book of Hebrews. 
Hebrews 11.10. For he, Abraham, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. A city not made by human hands, meaning a heavenly city. He didn't look for an earthly city. He didn't look for an earthly Jerusalem. He looked for a heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, it's even clearer. But now they desire a better country, better than Old Testament Israel. That is an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city, a heavenly city, a heavenly land. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Are you still listening? Here on earth we have no continuing city. We seek one to come. Earthly Jerusalem did not continue. Paul was saying to the Hebrews, we have no continuing city. Old Jerusalem will not continue. It will not continue to exist. We seek an eternal city to come. Earthly Jerusalem did not continue to exist. The Apostle John, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, calls Jerusalem, old Jerusalem, Sodom and Egypt. There's nothing eternal about the eternal city. Revelation 11.8, listen carefully. And their dead bodies, and by the way, when we get to Revelation, discussions, a lot of these verses that we're talking about today are going to become very relevant at that part of our, of, uh, of our series. Revelation 11.8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? In Jerusalem. Jerusalem, God calls Jerusalem, old Jerusalem, Sodom and Egypt. How can modern Christians refer to the current pagan city of Jerusalem as the holy city? When God calls it Sodom and Egypt. By the way, the current city of Jerusalem was built by Roman Emperor Hadrian in 130 to 135 AD. It's a Roman city. In 1516, Solomon the Magnificent and the Ottoman Empire built the walls around the so-called Old City of Jerusalem. So when you talk about Jerusalem, you're talking about a Roman-built city and Muslim-built walls around the city. That's your modern city of Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 26. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, 
the old covenant. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, the old covenant, which genereth unto bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, when Paul wrote, the city of Jerusalem was still in existence, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above heavenly, is free, which is the mother of us all. Galatians 3.29. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Are you beginning to see the truth? Back to Romans chapter 9. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect. Okay, look at very carefully. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. They are not all true Israel, which are of physical Israel, is what he's saying. Are you see that? They are not all true Israel that are of physical or biological Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham, the biological seed of Abraham, are they all children of God. You see that? But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these the physical, biological posterity of Abraham, children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So, who are the children of promise? You want to know? Galatians 4.28 now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now we, brethren, are the children of promise. I'm looking at the children of promise. Again, the New Testament explains the old. Romans chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Even us whom he had called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in Osi or Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there they shall be called the children of the living God, speaking of the Gentile nations. 
They were, at one time, they were outside the covenant of faith. They were outside the hope of Israel. But now, all the nations of the world, through Christ, are part of the family of God. And to those of whom it was said, they are not my people, now they are my people. To those who were said they were not children of God, they are children of God, speaking of the Gentile church. Isaiah, or Isaiah, also crieth concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Underline that. A remnant shall be saved. Very important. Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 32. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness. Even the righteousness is, which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, the old covenant, the law of Moses, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. You see that? Israel, the nation, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. That's Jesus Christ. Underline that stumbling stone. We're going to come back to that in another passage. Now Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. He just said in Romans 9, 30 through 32, Israel hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Here he says, they have not the righteousness of God because they've tried to establish their own righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, the Jewish law, for righteousness to everyone that believes. You see that? Christ is the end of the Jewish law. Amen. Now we come to Romans chapter 11. And again, nothing that we're going to read in this chapter contradicts anything that we've already read in Romans heretofore. Romans 11 verses 1 and 2. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Underline that, of the tribe of Benjamin. That's very important. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. I'm living proof. Romans 11:5. Even so then, do you believe the Bible? Even so then, at this present time also there is a remnant there it is again according to the election of grace at this present time when Paul wrote there is a remnant of 
Israelites according to the election of grace at this present time. Verses 7 and 8. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election, the remnant, hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Israel as a nation hath not obtained the salvation and righteousness it sought. Only the remnant, the election, hath obtained it, and the rest are in blindness. Romans 11 verse 23. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. The dispensational futurists say that this means that in years to come, the entire nation of this resurrected Israel, of which Israel and Palestine is the precursor of in their in their thinking is going to have a great national salvation where do you find that in this passage where do you find national salvation for anybody if 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 they abide not still in unbelief if they come to faith in Christ they shall be grafted in this is another reference to the remnant. Who are them? They shall be grafted in. Not a nation. How many verses have we already read that talked about the defunct nation of Israel? Not a national salvation, but the remnant that come to faith in Christ will be grafted in to the body of Christ and will become part of God's salvation. The rest are blinded. They've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, and they stumble at the stumbling stone. Now we come to verses 25 and 26, which is the heart of dispensationalist theology when it comes to this subject. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. And that's what we have a lot of in evangelical Christianity today. We've got a lot of people that are lifted up with pride in their own knowledge and their own conceit about what they think they know. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. Blindness in part. And they say that this means a time, this is a timing issue that they're blind now, but years down the road in the future, their eyes are gonna be open and they're all gonna be saved. They're all gonna see the light. That's not what that means. Blindness in part means the ones who have not come to faith in Christ, that part are unsaved, they're blind. The part that come to faith in Christ, they are the part that's not blind. Blindness in part, not talking about time, is talking about people. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. 
And so all Israel shall be saved. And that's the one phrase they take out of Romans 11 and they build their doctrine around it. You see, all Israel, all the national Israel is going to be saved in the future. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, all Israel shall be saved. Okay, you got your thinking caps on? Romans 9.27. A remnant of Israelites shall be saved. A remnant. There's no question Paul is talking about the Israelites in chapter 9, verse 27. Now Romans 11.26 says, all Israel shall be saved. Now wait a minute. A remnant shall be saved. 9.27. All Israel shall be saved. 11.26. Which is it? Which is it? Is it a remnant? Or is it all? If the word Israel in chapter 11, verse 26, means Israelites which it doesn't, but if it did, this is a huge, glaring contradiction, which is impossible. The Holy Spirit cannot contradict himself. Paul was not contradicting himself. When he said in chapter 11, all Israel shall be saved, he was not contradicting what he said two chapters earlier, a remnant shall be saved. But if all Israel means a national Israel as dispensationalists claim that it means a regathered national Israel now located in Palestine under the Zionist flag, one day going to be the regathering of all Israel, shall we say, what happened to chapter 9 verse 27? Only Paul went into great detail, talking about how if you, they weren't in the remnant, they were blind. They did not attain unto righteousness. Only the election, only the remnant. And now all Israel shall be saved. You got a real problem here. But the problem is easily solved. The word Israel in chapter 11, verse 26, does not mean national Israel, it does not mean Israelites. I refer you back to the Israel packages that I brought in in the years preceding the beginning of this series of prophecy sermons, 31 of them in all. I go into great depth in various messages to explain this. I don't have time to go to that degree today, but I just remind you that this information is all there in the Israel packages. I'd urge you to get them. We learned that the combination of Christ's work on the cross and the creation of the church as the body of Christ, including most specifically the conversion of Cornelius and the birth of the Gentile church and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, the old covenant and the Jewish religion were abolished and the promises made to Abraham were totally and thoroughly fulfilled. All of the promises relative to Israel 
hath been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There are no promises, zero, zilch, none to the Israelites left to be fulfilled. They are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Gentiles will occur when the last person is converted to Jesus Christ. At that moment, the Gentile church, the body of Christ, will be full. At that moment, all Israel, the Israel of God, Galatians 6.16, the church shall be saved. Right now, the Israel of God, Galatians 6.16, I'm going to read it in just a second, clearly a reference to the church, is being saved. People are still coming to faith in Christ. It's, it's not full. But when the last person comes to faith in Christ, the body will be full. And all Israel, the church, shall be saved. Listen to Galatians 5, 15 and 16. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. How many times have we read this? And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. So when Paul said, all Israel shall be, he wasn't contradicting what he said about the Israelites in chapter 9, a remnant would be saved. All Israel of God, the entire church, will be saved when that last person comes to faith in Christ and the Gentiles are fulfilled. You see how what proper interpretation makes everything fit as it is proper. The remnant of the Israelites and all the Israel of God will be saved. Now, Sidebar, do not confuse the fullness of the Gentiles in Romans 11.25 with the times of the Gentiles in Luke 21.24. They are not the same. Luke 21.24, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive to all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles unto the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. This is clearly a prophetic reference to the destruction of Jerusalem which took years, took, took place about 35 years later, as Jesus said. So don't conf be confused by those two passages. Now, for further clarification, let's notice the definitions of Israel. Genesis 32, 28, Jacob is called Israel, the man Jacob. National Israel under David and Solomon, the 12 tribes, is called Israel, 1 Kings 8, 1. The 10 northern tribes during the divided kingdom are called Israel in 1 Kings 12, 20. And the church is called the Israel of God in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16. 
So to which Israel is Paul referring when he says, all Israel shall be saved? Well, we've already answered it, but let me help clarify it in your mind, because I know I'm talking to a lot of people that have never heard this before. And it's going to take a while for you to digest this. It took me time to unlearn the error and to learn the truth. So what's he referring to? Is he referring, all Israel, is he referring to the man Jacob? Well, no, that, that doesn't make any sense. Is he referring to the United Kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon? All 12 tribes? What about the divided kingdom of Israel? The 10 northern tribes? Is he talking about the 10 tribes or the 12 tribes? Or is he talking about the church comprised of both Israelites and Gentiles? By definition and explanation, he's talking about the church. All right, let me review what we've learned so far. Number one, under the new covenant, true Jews are those who have put their faith in Christ regardless of biological bloodlines. The Apostle James addressed the 12 tribes scattered abroad, James chapter 1 and verse 1. Now the phrase, I'm Albert Barnes, the phrase the 12 tribes was a common term by which the Jewish people were designated and was in use long after the 10 tribes were carried away, leaving in fact only two of the 12 in Palestine, Judah and Benjamin. Remember Benjamin, Paul, I'm a Benjamite. The phrase, the 12 tribes, became also sort of a technical expression to denote the people of God, the church. When James said the 12 tribes, there were no 12 tribes. There were only two tribes. But he said the 12 tribes scattered abroad, which was, a, again, a technical expression to denote the people of God, the church. Now we're going to come to that again in the book of Revelation. And it's going to be very interesting and you're going to see the harmony of how all this matches when we get there. Therefore, the term all Israel in Romans 11 could not possibly refer to nation, national Israel's 10 tribes because that genealogy, the bloodline, was already obliterated. Only the southern kingdom, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, of which Paul claimed ancestry, had an intact bloodline at that time. At this present time, Paul said, there is a remnant. I'm living proof. I have a bloodline that I can prove that goes back to the tribe of Benjamin and back to Abraham. The genealogical records of the Jews, again, short for Judahites, were destroyed by King Herod, who was an Edomite and not a Jew and hated the Jews. And any records that Herod missed, if he did, were destroyed when the Romans burned down the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish temple. Number two, we've learned that Abraham is the spiritual father of many nations. 
with no respect to circumcision or biological Jewishness. Number three, Abraham had both a land promise, physical Canaan land, promised land, that was fulfilled under the reigns of David and Solomon, and a world promise that is fulfilled under Christ in the New Jerusalem. Number four, the whole of Israel did not submit to the righteousness of Christ and vainly attempted to establish their own righteousness through the works of the law. Therefore, the kingdom was taken from them. The nation of Israel, Matthew 21, verse 43, said Jesus. Number five, God still had a remnant or elect of remaining Jews, blood descendants from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin during Paul's time that would be converted to Christ through faith and be grafted into salvation again. The rest remain blind. This refers to the Judahites that were saved on the day of Pentecost and during the apostolic period before the destruction of Jerusalem. And I'll prove that more fully in a few minutes. There is no ambiguity regarding the word remnant. It always means a small percentage of the whole. I'm going to just list these verses and not read them, but if you're taking notes, you can jot them down. 2 Kings 19, 30 and 31, Isaiah 10, 20 through 22, Isaiah 37, 31, 32, Joel 2, 32, Micah 4, 7, Zephaniah 3, 13. All of these verses say that a remnant, a remnant, small number of biological Judahites will be saved. A remnant of Judahites will be saved. Number six, we learned national Israel has been totally and thoroughly rejected and destroyed by God. National Israel has been totally and thoroughly rejected and destroyed by God. Are you still listening? We're not done yet. 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16. For ye brethren became followers of the churches of God which are in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak unto the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway. Last phrase, verse 16, for the wrath, meaning of God, for the wrath of God is come upon them, the Jewish nation, to the uttermost. The wrath of God is come upon the Jewish nation to the uttermost. Now, I looked up that phrase, to the uttermost, in the Strong's Greek Concordance. And the meaning of to the uttermost is the conclusion of an act or state. The conclusion of an act or state. The meaning here 
is the conclusion of the Jewish state in 70 AD. The wrath of God is come upon them to their conclusion, which took place in 70 AD. If you're still not satisfied, listen to Jesus in Matthew 21, 42 through 45. Jesus said to them, did you never read the scriptures? The stone, Christ, the stumbling stone, which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, the Jewish nation. The kingdom of God is taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof, meaning the Gentile church, father of many nations. And whosoever shall fall on this stone, Christ, the stumbling stone, meaning the Jewish persecutors, shall be broken on the cross. Jesus was broken on the cross for our sins. But on whomsoever it, the stumbling stone, shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You're going to fall on the stone the Jewish nation fell on Christ and crucified him, and he was broken on the cross for us. But on whomsoever the stone Christ shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Listen to the last phrase of verse 45. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. They knew Jesus was predicting the destruction of the Jewish authority and nation. And Jesus used the words, grind him to powder. This promise was fulfilled with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The Jewish city, the temple, and the religion were ground to powder. And I have in, I think it's the second set of the Israel package, an entire message devoted to the destruction of Jerusalem that you really should watch. Number seven, we learned that all true Israel would be saved. The true Israel being the Israel of God, the church, the spiritual Jews, regardless of bloodline, race, nationality, or ethnicity. Now back to Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now do you understand what he was saying? God hath not cast away his people, which he pursued. I'm part of the remnant. I'm of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, he had to be from either Benjamin or Judah because they were the only two Jewish tribes or Israelite tribes that were, that were left. The others had already been obliterated. The remnant of Israel, the elect, 
whom God knew through his foreknowledge from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin before 70 AD, of whom Paul was one, would be saved. The application, I'm coming out to the last section of this message. The application of these scriptures to the people calling themselves Jews in the modern state of Israel is a physical and spiritual impossibility. I'm saying to you that the dispensationalists who apply all these verses that we've already covered and we know the meaning, to even attempt to apply those passages to people calling themselves Jews today in Israel or elsewhere is a complete physical and spiritual impossibility. Let me prove it to you. Book of Revelation. Jesus wrote seven churches in the first part of the book of the Revelation, through John, of course. The churches in Asia Minor, you're familiar with that. Two of the churches, Jesus said this, to the church in Smyrna, if you have a red letter edition, this is in red. To the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2.9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. You're poor financially, but you're rich in heaven. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, do you believe the words of Jesus or not? A lot of Christians say they believe the words of Jesus, but they don't. We've got to deal with this. And the Schofield Futurists have to deal with this. And I've heard a lot of preachers preach on this, and they always spiritualize this passage, and they say, he's talking about false Christians, people who say they're saved, but they're not. Well, that's true, but that's not what this verse says. This verse doesn't say anything about saved. The verse says, which say they are Jews and are not. To the church of Philadelphia, in chapter 3, verse 9 of Revelation, he said the same thing. Behold, I will make of them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. So twice to the churches of Asia Minor, Jesus said, they say they are Jews and they are not. They lie through of the synagogue of Satan. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Remember, this is the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Now, this is part of the equation that evangelicals as a whole and dispensationalists in particular refuse to acknowledge. They totally refuse to acknowledge. And this truth seals the tomb of the interpretation that all Israel in Romans 11 means national or racial Israel. This seals the tomb. Twice 
Jesus tells the church, they say they are Jews and they are not. Now, I'm going to address this fully. Let's examine the terms. Israelites or Hebrews. These are the biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which formed the 12 tribes of Israel under Moses and Joshua, and then became the United Kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon. Also applied in a general sense, or figurative sense, to the Judahite descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Acts 6, by Paul of himself twice, and by the author of the book of Hebrews, Israelites, Hebrews. Number two, Jews or Judahites. Jews is short for Judahites. These are the biological descendants of Jacob's sons, Judah, I should say were, the biological descendants of Jacob's sons, Judah and Benjamin, which formed the two tribes' southern kingdom when the nation of Israel split into after the reign of Solomon. This nation was called Judah and had Jerusalem as the capital. The other ten tribes formed the northern kingdom and were called Israel and had Samaria as the capital. These were the Jews, Judahites, at the time of Christ and the apostles. So we have Israelites or Hebrews, Jews or Judahites, and now we come false Jews. False Jews, number one, are people who say they are blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, but are not. They're false Jews. They say they are the blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, but they are not just as Jesus said twice to the church. Number two, people who convert to the religion of Judaism call themselves Jews. They are not. In Judaism, Strange Gods by Michael Hoffman that we have carried for a couple of years now, which I'm very proud to distribute, Michael Hoffman, Christian scholar, documents the fact that Judaism is not the religion of the Old Testament, but it is an antichrist belief system of the Pharisees, which arose in Babylon with the writing of the oral traditions of the elders in the Talmud. Judaism is a name that they give to fool Christians into thinking that this is part of Old Testament Jewry. Judaism is not anything to do with Old Testament Israel. It is Talmudism. Judaism is Talmudism. It is the doctrine of the Pharisees. Please understand. And you know, of course, the word Judaism does not appear one time in the Bible at all. And then, of course, for definition purposes, Israelis. The citizens of the Zionist state of Israel formed in 1948 regardless of religion or race, are Israelis. The people in modern Israel are Israelis, not Israelites. The Jewish Judahite bloodline was essential to the birth of Jesus Christ. I have to, I can't avoid this because this makes it all make sense. 
This is why Moses commanded the Israelites to not intermarry with other races. In Deuteronomy 7.3, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give to thy son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. This is why you find so many genealogies in the Bible, up to and including the genealogies of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was a Judahite. Matthew traces Jesus' genealogy through his adopted father Joseph, going back to King David through Solomon, which gave Jesus his kingly Jewish pedigree. Luke traces Jesus' genealogy through his mother Mary, going back to Adam and King David through Nathan, which gave Jesus his human Jewish pedigree. That's why these genealogies are so important in the Bible. It's confirming and establishing the bloodline of the Messiah. Jesus was born of a virgin of an adopted father who was a, was a Judahite. His mother was a Judahite. Luke and Matthew go into great detail as with the Old Testament genealogies confirming the bloodline of true Israel the bloodline of true Judah and the bloodline of the Messiah. Do you understand that? This is why Ezra and Nehemiah, these were the post-Babylonian captivity reformers. This is why they acted the way they did toward the Jewish remnant returning from the Babylonian captivity. Let me read this. Ezra 9, 1 through 4. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, the Amorites, for they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. The holy seed, the biological, intact Jewish line leading to the Messiah was being corrupted. Yea, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment in my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. That's Ezra. The bloodline was being corrupted. Ezra was so distraught he pulled out his hair, pulled out his beard, sat down and wept and prayed before God. Now we come to Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a little bit, he had a little bit different tack than Ezra. 
13, 23 through 25. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half the speech of Ashdod and could not speak the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair. Nehemiah had a little bit way, different way of handling it. And made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Do you understand what's going on here? Remember again that the bloodline of the Israelites of the northern kingdom had long been obliterated by the time of Jesus and the apostles. That line was extinct. The ten northern tribes had no bloodline left. And the genealogical records of the Judahites were destroyed by King Herod and their bloodline obliterated following the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. You still with me? I'm almost finished. So what is the genealogical ancestry of the Israelis in Palestine and professing Jews of other countries today? What is the genealogical ancestry? Is this important or not? This all goes back to the definitions and the meanings of the words that we've been talking about in Romans. Are they the genetic descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah? Are they? Israeli genetic researchers, I repeat, Israeli genetic researchers. Dr. Ariella Oppenheim, 2001, and Dr. Iran Elhaik, 2012, confirmed that people claiming to be Jews are not Jews, but are descendants from European Khazars that had converted to Judaism in the eighth century. Writing for the Israeli newspaper, Hereritz, in 2012, journalist Ofer Adarat reported the following, and I quote, the Khazars converted to Judaism in the 8th century, and their descendants are the European or Ashkenazi Jews who live today in Israel in the diaspora, dispersion. The commonly accepted narrative consider the Jews to be descended from the residents of the kingdom of Judah who were exiled and returned to their native land, the modern-day state of Israel, only after thousands of years of exile. In contrast, this new study, Dr. Elhaik's published research in 2012, supports the theory that the Jews are descendants from different peoples who converted to Judaism. The dominant element of the genetic makeup is Khazar, European. Remember, this is Israeli research. Furthermore, a self-professing Ashkenazi Jew, meaning European, 
wrote a series of booklets condemning the Zionist state of Israel. His name was Jack Bernstein. One of his booklets is called The Life of an American Jew in Racist Marxist Israel. That's his term, not mine. In this book, he said the following, and I quote, The American people have been led to believe that Jews are God's chosen people. But isn't it odd that it is not the religious Jews who claim to be God's chosen people. It is the atheistic, non-believing Jews who claim that honor. Leading the cry, we are God's chosen people, are the Zionist, Marxist, Ashkenazi Jews who for political purposes have chose Judaism and who don't have a drop of biblical Jewish blood in them. One Israeli religious Jew said it well. Quote, at one time, we Jews were chosen by God to be his messengers. But long ago, we forfeited that right. Close quote. Back to Bernstein. Anyone who has read the Bible with an open mind, remember, this is, a, this is an Ashkenazi Jew speaking. Anyone who has read the Bible with an open mind knows that God gave Jews at that time special favors. But it was in the form of covenants. In these covenants were conditions. The conditions were that God demanded the Jews obey his word. Time after time, the Jews broke the covenants. They rejected God and turned to adoring mammon, money. It doesn't take a biblical scholar to realize that long ago, even the real Jews lost the right to be called God's chosen people, close quote. Again, spoken by an Ashkenazi. Think about it. People who don't even believe in God, which most Israelis don't, say they are God's chosen people. And evangelical Christians foolishly say that people who don't believe in God are God's chosen people. How twisted is this doctrine? Remember my message in, in number two on Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy, I told you that the covenant to Israel was conditional and the covenant to Abraham through Christ was unconditional. And here this Ashkenazi Jew understands that the covenants that were broken by Israel and therefore the covenants were forfeited by God. If he understands that, why is it so difficult for Christians who supposedly are indwelled with the Holy Spirit and believe the Bible? How can they not understand that? Other Jews living in Palestine are Sephardic Jews. These are those who, whose ancestry was mostly among the native Arab peoples. And by the way, the dominant Ashkenazi Jews in Israel persecute the Sephardic Jews, extremely. The Sephardic Jews are second-class citizens in Israel. It's amazing because their, their, their ancestry is among the Arab nations and the ancestry of the Ashkenazis is among the European nations. They are belittled and denigrated, persecuted, denied jobs. It, I could go on and on. It's not, life is not easy for the Sephardic Jews in Israel. But again, and the point is, 
There are zero people living today or for the past 2,000 years, for that matter, who have a legitimate bloodline from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The people today who say they are Jews and are not could not, if their life depended on it, prove their bloodline because it's been obliterated. Zero people today, therefore, can claim the land of Palestine as a blood right or a promised land or a holy land. No people today have any such land on earth. The fact is, the entire human race is now comprised of hybrids. Again, the promised land for the church or the body of Christ is the entire world, the word used by Paul, at the advent of the new Jerusalem. That is our promised land, the new Jerusalem, the world covenant given to all who, are, who come to faith in Christ. The, the children of promise and God's chosen people are those who are the children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. This is the message that the church should be preaching to professing Jews, a message that would save untold numbers of people who falsely say and think they are Jews in the eyes of God. But instead, Christian Zionists all over America keep telling these false Jews that they are God's chosen people and are helping to condemn their souls to eternal damnation as are all condemned, regardless of bloodline, who are outside the faith of Jesus Christ. If we really wanted to see professing Jews saved, this is the message we would preach unto them. The new covenant. <laughs> Schofield futurists or prophetic dispensationalists are magnifying the old covenant, which has been abolished and offers nothing but death over Christ's new covenant, which alone has the power to save. Again, I refer you to the very first message in my prophecy series, talking about the new covenant, the old covenant, etc. Do you now understand why I keep saying that the real issue in this subject is not Israel? It's not Israel. That's not the issue. The issue is the new covenant. The new covenant is what we're talking about. Therefore, the issue is not racial at all, but strictly theological or biblical. Let's review one last time. Under the new covenant, True Jews are those who have put their faith in Christ, regardless of biological bloodlines. Number two, Abraham is the spiritual father of many nations with no respect to circumcision or biological Jewishness. Number three, Abraham had both a land promise, Canaan or promised land, that was fulfilled under the reigns of David and Solomon, and a world promise that is fulfilled in the new Jerusalem under Jesus Christ. Number four, the whole of Israel did not submit to the righteousness of Christ 
and vainly attempted to establish their own righteousness through the works of the law. Therefore, the kingdom was taken from them. Number five, God still had a remnant or elect of remaining Jews, blood descendants from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin during Paul's time that would be converted to Christ through faith and be grafted into salvation again. The rest remain blind. Number six, national Israel and the holy city of Jerusalem have been totally and thoroughly rejected and destroyed by God. And there are zero biological descendants from the bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob living today. Number seven, under the new covenant, true Israel is the Israel of God, the church, the spiritual Jews, Romans 2, regardless of bloodline, race, nationality, or ethnicity. Concluding statement. God bless his chosen people, the children of promise, the Israel of God, the new covenant, blood-washed church of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom all shall be saved. Let's stand for a word of prayer.